0: good evening everyone welcome to the carolina weather group this is the wednesday april 10th 2019 edition of our little weather get together show number 273 and tonight we have with us mr rob Galbraith. He is uh, the most interesting man in insurance. That's uh, that's what he's been dubbed the title. Uh, Rob is an author and obviously works in the insurance uh, spectrum of the uh, of the world. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, are you covered? We're going to be discussing several different. Uh, weather events and natural disasters that all affect uh, everyone in the country, but especially here in the southeast. So uh, Rob will be uh, joining us tonight. He's going to give us his input and what you should do to get prepared, especially as we enter the severe weather season and the hurricane season. So uh, we're happy to have Rob with us tonight. Uh, before we do that, this is a live broadcast, and this is a topic you'll probably want to the, uh, to send your questions and comments. I know a lot of folks uh, have different insurance policies and coverages, and uh, maybe we can get some answers for you tonight. So if you want to do that, uh, you are watching this probably right now on Facebook Live or Periscope. Uh, There's a little comment section there. You can type in your comment, and we will watch for those throughout the show. And if uh, you have any questions, and when the time permits, we will ask them. And if you are listening On our podcast version, at the end of the show, we'll let Rob give off some of his social media information. And if you want to tweet him a question, I'm sure he'd be able to uh, answer it and take it for you. So uh, you can get the information from Rob via his Twitter account. So we welcome you again to the show, 273. Uh, We're running a little bit late, so we are going to uh, kind of uh, punt our news segment to uh, to the end part of the show. So uh, stick around for the uh, news segment. Uh, it's been a very uh, uh, active storm uh, uh, week for the Carolinas, and we're going to discuss that along with a few other things uh, towards the end of the program. So before we do that, let's bring in our, our guest, Mr. Rob. Rob, welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing great, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, we're excited to have you, Rob. So uh, one of our, our standard questions for our first-time guests is, uh, how did you get caught up in this uh, crazy weather world? I know you're in the insurance sector, but you do a lot in the weather community as well. So how did you get interest in insurance and weather?
1: Yes, it's a great question, Scotty. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I spent uh, 20 years uh, working in the insurance sector almost by accident. Um, I uh I'm actually in Lansing, Michigan. Um, I just started a new job this week at a company called AF Group. Um, and it's a little bit of a homecoming for me. I was born and raised in Michigan, went here uh, just down the street to Michigan State. I was actually hoping to celebrate a Michigan State uh, championship on my first day of work on Monday. Uh, sadly, it was, it was not to be. Um, I was told that, uh, we were burning couches and stuff like that when Michigan State beat Duke uh, last weekend and so that is you know brought a tear to my eye because uh, that was happening 20 years ago when we beat Duke like the only other time uh, it felt feels like uh, Isabel does not have a good good record against Coach K or Roy Williams so I hate Duke and I hate UNC because those are the two teams we cannot we'll beat Kentucky we'll beat others but yeah I can't get past Duke or 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 uh, Carolina so um But uh, yeah, so um, I uh, had the opportunity to move to San Antonio, actually um, kind of chasing a girl. (laughs) And uh, um, a friend of mine, when I moved down there said, hey, whatever you can do, get on with uh, USA. They're a large insurance company that serves military members and their families based in San Antonio. And so I did that. And uh, kind of fell into insurance. I was an e major, so I like banking, I like investments, and I had some previous work experience doing that. And um, I was in the insurance space for about five years. I was trying to move over to uh, different parts of the company until I realized I really like this insurance thing. This is actually much way cooler than I, I would have ever thought. Um, and so I bounced around to a lot of different jobs, but in the last uh, five or six years, my job was to. Um, underwrite our homeowners uh, and renters and rental property products. Uh, and it was uh, against catastrophes, right? So I tell people, hey, you know, a home in the middle of um, Iowa cornfield that maybe doesn't have a lot of risk, like everybody wants to to, to write that homeowner's policy all day long. Um, but if it comes to a hurricane prone area or a hail prone area or a wildfire prone area, or you know even earthquake or, or lava flow in Hawaii, like those are, Risks that a lot of companies don't necessarily want to want to write because obviously you can lose a lot of money as an insurance company. Um, and USA is is owned by their members; they're not uh, traded uh, publicly as a stock company. And um, you know, as an underwriter, it's like I wanted to say yes to everybody, you know, and kind of make sure that they had had uh, protection against uh, disasters. So um, I just tried to really learn about all the different exposures, and so that kind of led me to engage with the folks like the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety that has their research lab in Chester County, South Carolina, and they'll tell you like when you guys see damage after these major weather events, you know, everyone talks about kind of luck and we see those images from Hurricane Florence and, and Hurricane Michael and others where one home is just devastated and another home just barely has a shingle missing, right? And we all talk about luck and randomness, and it, it really isn't. I mean, yes, there's some uh, element of that, of course, because we're talking about weather. But um, there's also engineering principles, and there's reasons behind um, why one home is is totally destroyed and another home is left standing. and It has a lot to do with building codes and certain building techniques and whatnot. So, um, I just love geeking out on the space. I talked to as many meteorologists as I could, as many, you know, uh, structural engineers as I could. And um, so, yeah, I kind of uh, got into it that way and just um, kept the network going, kept meeting a bunch of cool people and uh, following folks on Twitter just so I could kind of, I had to cover the whole country. So like Twitter is just my connection with what's going on uh, all over, you know, all 50 states. And uh, yeah, it just became, became a
0: passion. I know. I follow, I follow you on Twitter, and you're a great follow, and I actually was able to hear you speak at the National Tornado Summit. So uh, you do obviously have a really interesting job, so tell us about uh, about this. I mean, you are out, like you said, uh, we'll talk about the um, the health study in just a little bit, but you get to go out to these facilities and, and see how homes are being becoming uh, more resistant to – Uh, weather and things like that. So tell us a little little bit about that and some of the uh, coolest things you've been able
1: to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things I like to do is uh, work with our uh, claims team, right, after an event and kind of just see the damage, um, see them helping. That's the whole point of insurance, right, is to be there at your greatest time of of need. Um, And what those guys do is just magic, you know, Um, it's a lot of work, it's grueling hours, oftentimes in these disaster areas, you know, it's not like they just go have a nice steak dinner when they're done for the day or whatnot. I mean, you're talking about cliff bars and they bring a big old jug of water and, um, you know, it it can be pretty rough, you know, in some of these areas, Uh, but they want to get to it obviously as quickly as possible and get money in in people's hands and and help them on the road to recovery. Um, And so those are the ones also that kind of got me saying, you know, hey, look at this house. Um, You know, the reason that, you know, they're in good shape is because of X, Y, and Z and look at this other house. And there's other stuff that that you wouldn't necessarily know or think about, but it it makes intuitive sense. Like I'll give you an example. So following Hurricane Irma, I went to go view this community that was uh, kind of in the Orlando area where it was about a Cat 1. So it wasn't in Naples, it wasn't a Cat 4, right, a little bit farther inland, uh, but still the eye wall had passed right over this area. And there were homes that were right on the golf course, had a beautiful view of the fairway and they were just decimated because the wind came off the pond and came off the golf course. There was nothing to break that wind. Whereas just down the street a little bit, if you didn't necessarily have the view of the the fairway, uh, but you had houses on all sides, um, you barely had any damage at all, right? Because you kind of had some natural protection. And um, the other thing that I think is kind of interesting are like trees. Trees can be your friend or they can be your worst nightmare. Um, so I saw a home that was not in great shape. Um, the roof was just terrible and all that, but it was uh, in a more rural part of the state and uh, it was surrounded by some pretty big trees and those trees totally broke the wind and kind of preserved this older, not in great shape house. Whereas on the flip side, I've seen other houses that were really, really well built, but of course the tree you know falls right in the, the, the middle of the, the roof and kind of totally, totally damages it. So there's definitely an element of luck. Um, but uh there's there's a lot of
2: uh, science behind it as well. Uh when it comes to severe weather, and you know, trying to insure for different types of things like lightning, hail, tornadoes, is there anything that is covered differently or as an insurance agent, you're kind of looking at differently when you're trying to figure out the risk and perhaps what people end up paying?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of big differences to be honest. Um, you know, some stuff is, is pretty standard. Uh, But I always tell people, like, so when people buy insurance, they usually buy insurance because um, it allows them to do something they really want to do, right? It's like a checkbox. So, you know, you want to drive that new car off the dealer's lot, so you got to get insurance before you can do that, right? Or you want to close on your mortgage, so you've got to have insurance before you do it. So most people don't spend a lot of time in that moment really talking with our agent, trying to understand this policy. It's like, just give me a quote, right? And the agent's asking you a bunch of questions. He's like, just give me to the bottom line, right? Like, what's this gonna cost me? and so, and then after it, like, great, you know, congratulations, you know, you you have a house or, you know, you rented an apartment and um, you don't really think about it, right, because that that task was done and you moved on with your life. And so what I tell people is that, you know, it's not just about price. Each company has different uh, policies, they cover things differently. Um, and then some parts may be covered, but other parts are not covered. And so there's a lot that kind of goes into it. Um, so you know, the, 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 if you really want to know, you should read your own policy. You shouldn't necessarily trust what your, your agent said. Um, your agents would love it, by the way, if you actually did just because you would have a lot more intelligent questions to ask them. But obviously, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a language for somebody like me that's worked in 20 years, I can spot, you know, what's maybe a, a good policy and what's a not so good policy from a coverage standpoint. Um, but most of us don't have that kind of experience. So that's where you really, you need to rely on your agent as somebody that you trust. It's not just somebody that's selling. like agents are licensed. you know this isn't just going to best buy and selling you the latest iPhone. like they have to go to training and they have to have continuous education to to keep current on stuff. So you should think of them not just as a salesperson but truly your advisor and so ask them just to walk you through what am I covered for and have them take the time to walk through it and if you have a question or you don't understand or you're like well is this covered or is that or what about this scenario, um,
2: definitely take the time to, to ask them some of those questions. Would having uh, any storm resistant items, let's say uh, a more secured roof like hurricane straps or something like that, a uh, tornado safe room, uh, would any of those be factored into a policy?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question, and and the answer is yes. Um, What I would say, though, is that um, some companies will offer an explicit discount for those things, right? So you're like, well, what am I getting for my hurricane straps, or my openings protection on my garage door, or my my storm shutters for my windows, and um, some companies um, offer it as a discount. So they'll say, well, you're saving, you know, 300 bucks because you have that. Other companies kind of just bake it into the premium calculation. They don't necessarily break it out as a specific discount. And so people get frustrated because the agent will be like, well, you're not necessarily like, I can't give you a number for what you're getting credit for, but you kind of need to trust that behind the scenes, all that actuarial math and whatnot, it's being in there. So I always tell people just focus on the bottom line, total premium. Like, you know, you may be getting a $300 discount for having that, uh, uh, storm shutters on your windows, but if you're paying $1,500 and somebody else is paying $1,200, well, $1,200 is lower than fifteen, dollars and so you may not see it. Maybe it's you're getting $600 credit over here. It just does not broken out um, you know, separate as a, as a line item. So yes, those are all the factors that kind of go into calculating what your premium is. And obviously, the better construction you have, the better. Different companies are going to offer different amounts of credit for those things, too. So that's definitely something to, to shop around. I think other people are, those are, um, people are, again, are, you know, set it and forget it, or maybe they're just intimidated and they don't always shop their insurance. And that's something I encourage people to do, even if ultimately you end up in the same place. It's always good just to kind of make sure that your price is competitive and, you know, most important from my perspective that you have really good coverage.
2: Let's talk about the uh, IBHS health study here for a second. What was that study? Why was it done? And uh, what was some of the biggest things that were learned out of it? Yeah, so um, the
1: IBHS uh, team is just uh, a tremendous asset to the industry. Um, Very quickly, um, kind of the insurance industry, all, um, many of the companies are members. Um, of the insurance institute for business and home safety or IBHS and so um, they pool all their money together to do some pretty basic uh, scientific research similar to the insurance institute for highway safety that does all their crash testing and 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 all that that we often kind of see on on videos and it tells you what car is a good car and you know five star rating four star three star it's really the same idea with these guys but from a um, a property standpoint and so um, the hail study in particular, there's two different types of tests for a hail resistant roof. One of them uses steel balls, which you might imagine, like it never ever rains steel balls. So that's not a really accurate uh, way to gauge the effectiveness of an impact resistant roof. The other uh, test for it actually makes ice. Um, like ice cubes in your fridge and ice cubes in your fridge are actually very different uh, than true hail. So true hail often kind of has those uh, rings almost like tree rings or you know it can be very dense and sometimes it's clear and sometimes it's cloudy right Um, and it's formed in the atmosphere just in an entirely different process than Ice that you make in the tray, where oftentimes the ice actually has a lot of cracks and fractures, and um, you know if that were to hit your roof, it would be very slushy ice. Um, hail can be obviously very slushy hitting your roof, but it can be really dense as well and just kind of pound like a hammer. Um, and so you know, there's lots of questions. We focus all the time, of course, on the diameter of the hail, right? Um, but some of the, the research they want to know is maybe if you had um, some pretty good sized diameter hail, but just periodic or you know a little bit here and there. How does that compare with just a deluge of pea-sized hail? Like we think the pea-sized hail is, is no big deal, but we don't really know. Maybe if there's a ton of it, it's just as damaging as the big stuff that's more you know sporadic that's out there. So really the only way for them to be able to uh, make like realistic hail in the lab facility in Chester County was to go out and chase hailstorms in the field and collect observations. And one of the tough things, there's not been a lot of academic research done on hail. Um, and Quite frankly like hail melts right so in terms of getting a good data set observational data set for the weather um, we just don't have a lot of good information there's hail spotter reports and stuff like that um i think it's improved tremendously in the social media world where people can now take photos they can actually you know hold up their ruler with it right but we just in the past didn't have a good uh data set for hail so Um, They have gone out for several years now um, to actually collect all this uh, uh, realistic hail in the field. They have over 5,000 hailstones in their database uh, so it's the world's largest database of hail observations and they offer member companies opportunity to kind of embed within them uh as they they deploy and so that was really the opportunity that i i got and uh, i could tell you as an insurance underwriter the idea of driving into the dark clouds and, and um i could tell you it was kind of st- safe storm chasing um, so, really, the purpose is to deploy some probes ahead of the storm and then get out of Dodge and let the storm pass over the probes and then come back in. So, we didn't have like the roll cage and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we've got obviously kind of online radar that we're constantly monitoring and uh, try to be, you know, very, very intelligent about where we are to be safe at all times. So, I'm going to
3: transition away from the severe weather and just kind of come up with this one stat that we are 52 days away from hurricane season. So could you talk to the people who are watching tonight about some of the things that they may wanna do going into hurricane season for an insurance check?
1: Yeah, no, thanks Melissa, great question. So. The first thing, um, and obviously, you know, we saw it with Hurricane Florence. Um, I experienced it. I live in San Antonio, Texas, with Hurricane Harvey the year before, is flooding. Um, Matthew obviously was a huge flood uh, event as well. Um, something both with with Matthew and then two years later with Florence, there was. Some talk even about like dodging the bullet, you know, not as severe as we originally thought it was going to be, but everyone was focused obviously on Saffir Simpson. um, And it was, you know, oftentimes the the effects were much more devastating inland than on the coast. Um, And what, you know, uh, people learn about in those type of events, but they don't necessarily remember um, or know if they've recently moved to the Carolina area or another hurricane prone region uh, from say the West or, or from a state like Michigan where I'm uh, located right now, um, is that flood insurance is not covered by your standard homeowners policy. You have to buy it through the federal government. Um, they don't necessarily do a, a ton of marketing on TV, right? The way a lot of insurance companies do and stuff like that. So it's something that, um, your agent uh, can uh, sell you oftentimes, but you have to ask for it, and, and I think, you know, a couple of myths. So number one, your typical homeowner's policy does not cover flood um, or renters, and you can buy flood insurance on a renter's policy as well. The second thing is, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people will tell you you don't need flood insurance, and what they mean is actually a very narrow technical definition. Uh, So certain mortgages that are in within a a one in 100 year floodplain as defined by FEMA, um, you're required to have flood insurance in order to get a mortgage in those areas. Um, But if you live outside what's considered a one in 100 year floodplain, you're not required to buy uh, flood insurance. Actually 25% of flood losses happen outside of that floodplain. So you still have a one in four chance, um, pretty high. Um, And so I always tell people like, you know, you wouldn't go to a casino with those odds, right? You know, and, and potentially risk the largest investment that you have, your home. Um, and so, you know, it, it's not worth the risk. You need to buy a policy, you need the coverage. If you live in a floodplain, there's a reason that it's gonna be expensive because your risk is very high. Um, if you live outside the floodplain, the good news is you're gonna be paying the lowest possible rate uh, that's offered for flood insurance in those areas. The, the, the other thing that I will mention about flood insurance is that there's a 30-day waiting period so when people are talking about hurricane season is right around the corner and we kind of focus on that June first date well now is the time to be calling around asking your agent um, can you give me a quote on flood insurance let me know you know how much it's going to be um, reviewing your coverages because you know 30 days from now right it's going to be kind of the middle of may we're going to be uh, right against hurricane season so it's it's not something that you know once you see Uh, you're in the cone of uncertainty that you can just call your agent and get coverage for the next day. And that's true, um, definitely in flood insurance, but it's also often true for regular um, homeowners or renter insurance as well. Um, Companies uh, often... Uh, issue what's are known as, as coverage suspensions or or moratoriums. And so this was actually something that my team did while I was at USA where we would actively monitor weather f- phenomenon and we would actually get updates an hour ahead of the National Hurricane Center's updates uh, working with a private company that kind of knew where the homes were uh, because we didn't want that National Hurricane Center update to kind of come out and then all of a sudden everyone's scrambling for the door. So, um, you know, often by the time that the people hear the latest update and then call to um, either make an adjustment in their policy or try to get a new policy. Companies have already said, nope, I know you're in the kind of uncertainty. You're not going to fool me. You know,
2: we're not issuing new policies right now. A question on that realm, you know, in today's world of social media and people having access to all these computer models and everything and the Euro model being posted mm-hmm. online, has that changed anything in how people either react uh, and maybe call up their insurance companies more or things like that? Uh, I wish, um, so it, it definitely changes how people react,
1: uh, but unfortunately they don't think about insurance first. Um, I'll give you a good example and in, in, in I saw this probably the most in Irma um, because it was following Harvey. So obviously following Harvey it was such a long lingering storm and uh, even two to three weeks after the storm, we had the gas shortage, right? Uh, so, even me in San Antonio, I wasn't affected um, by by Harvey personally. I actually put a rain gauge out and I was thinking that we might get some rain. And, you know, it wasn't even measurable, really. It was like an inch of rain. So, uh, it was just terrible to see all the images from, you know, Corporate Christie and, and Rockport, obviously, when it came ashore. And then, as well as, of course, Houston and, and, and Beaumont and stuff. Um, and here we are, like, it barely was enough to keep the, the, the lawn green in San Antonio. Um, but, um, a lot of times, uh, so people in Irma, right, because of that impact of the, the the gas shortage and all that, like people were much more quick quicker to evacuate in Florida. And also, I think it was the path of Irma, right, just going totally straight up the peninsula, being so wide to cover kind of the entire uh, peninsula, of Florida. So people were evacuating right away, and then. Um, Oftentimes insurance coverages will, or they will pay for your hotel and and may pay for some per diem, some meals or whatnot if you are forced to evacuate, Um, but that evacuation has to be declared by a civil authority. So a voluntary evacuation, like you decide because I'm monitoring it that, hey, we just need to get out of Dodge and go to Atlanta or someplace like that. And then you call and say, hey, are you going to cover my, you know, <laughs> my stay at the West End or the Marriott for five nights? It's like, no, that's not going to happen. And, and that was actually something I, I do see a lot of misinformation about insurance on um, social media as well. So people will say, well, this is covered or you should call this or don't worry about that or ask for this. And again, I always tell people, like, talk to your agent. Don't believe what you I'm, I'm not necessarily saying what you're reading on social media is. Is always incorrect. It could be factual, but oftentimes I can tell you from uh, you know the 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 companies that I've worked for, I know that that's not always accurate. And I can imagine that it's it's you know other information I'm saying about other carriers is also not accurate. Uh, so again, you know, insurance tends to be a very low touch product. We buy it, might renew once a year, you know, maybe you get that birthday card from your agent or whatever. But um, it's, it's really something that you want to have an ongoing conversation. Uh, they don't have to be your BFF, right? But you, you do want to be kind of regularly touching base with your agent um, and not believing what you're hearing online or not having that be the moment um, when it's like, do I evacuate or not to be the time when you start thinking about, you know, do I have the right coverage and, and uh, you know, where do I go to for advice? And, and
0: Rob, one other thing before we kind of leave the hurricane subject. Um, you, you said you you know you lived there in San Antonio, Darren in Harvey. Um, I'm sure you've heard him, and was a, a, with Matthew's destruction here in the Carolinas. Um, you know, a lot of stories we heard, especially here in the North Carolina area, uh, they were towns that even now are, are inhabitable, uh, and a lot of these folks didn't have flood insurance. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think flood insurance should have selling points, but. Uh, Basically, if you don't have flood insurance and your home's flooded out, there's nothing that your insurance people can do
1: no it, it's 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 true of your car um which which often is covered but right it's a total like your car's gonna be a mess whatever and you also have to be very mindful buying a used car after a flood event um ironically like in flood events they tend to move the flooded vehicles to a whole different part of the country so i know in texas like we were seeing all of a sudden a bunch of harvey flooded vehicles for sale in ohio and stuff like that and there's something called a salvage title people think you're getting a good deal like you should be very suspicious after a a hurricane event if you're buying a used vehicle and ironically like the best place to buy it was probably in houston right because they tried to ship them to other parts of the country and stuff uh but you're right and so the other thing too i will say about flood insurance so people always go by well it's only ever got up to here right um i think we kind of saw some of the signs in florence right and from 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 previous events that have come on, you know, Floyd and Hugo and stuff like that. And they have different kind of like, you know, almost like your kids growing up, like high water marks and stuff like that. So you know, that shouldn't always be your barometer in terms of like, well, it's only ever got up to here, so I'm not, you know, at, at risk. Um, and then the, the amount of flood. so people think about, you know, obviously storm surge, right? And like pushing the house and just this like massive wall of water. Um, they say the, the federal government says it's kind of a rule of thumb, like for every inch of water that's in your home, that's about $10,000 worth of damage. So if you think about it, just a little bit of water above you know, your carpet, your hardwood floors, all that, just think about how much it would cost to replace all that. And then it gets really bad if they make it up to your electrical outlets, right? Cause that could just totally mess up. We have to rip out all the drywall, redo all the electricity and whatnot. So I think people have this idea of like, you know, you climb into the roof, right? And like kind of, you know, tearing off, a, 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 home roof like um, during a a Katrina type of event, right? We saw some of that stuff and and, uh, it doesn't have to be like that. It can just be a little bit of water in your house, but drying all that out and all that is just a, a mess. And then, yeah, your house is kind of always a flooded house. It'll always affect the real estate value of, of, of your home. Um, if, if, if you are fortunate enough to even be able to pay to repair the damage, right, people are still going to know, well, you know, you got flooded out in this event and they're going to be kind of suspicious about any repairs. And and they may even ask you, like, did you have flood coverage? You know, was this covered by an insurance going to claim versus you having to pay out of pocket, because I think if you paid out of pocket, they're going to assume that you cut corners or maybe you're not being uh, fully transparent. And again, you know, like the, the, those kinds quickly become in the tens of thousands not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And most folks just don't have that kind of cash lying around.
0: Another thing that just comes to mind, and Ricky lived in, near Virginia Beach and Melissa deals with flooding a lot, Jared as well in Charleston. Uh, your, your area necessarily doesn't have to be hit by the hurricane. We've seen in the past three or four years that we've had uh, river flooding, where uh, maybe it flooded a lot in eastern North Carolina, and there's rivers that flowed into the Atlantic. We saw places in, like, uh, Myrtle Beach, Horry County, uh, Sokostee, places that really wasn't affected by a lot of rain from the hurricane, but they actually saw more flooding five days, ten days after the storm passed really right. the uh, the river flooding.
1: Absolutely, yeah. so we got the same thing going on in Texas where we've gotten hit by by many floods. Um, I think there's been like five one in one hundred year floods in the Houston area the last ten years, something like that. I mean, it's just insane like how much flood, in fact, in San Antonio, the first year I lived there, 1998, we were hit with a devastating flood. And then again, you know, it hadn't been like biblical proportions, 200 years or whatever. And then four years later, 2002, uh, we got hit by the same type of event. And so the city actually invested in a lot of infrastructure to move floodwaters out of the way. And so since then, we haven't been hit with a, a huge flood. Um, you know, the story I've been told is that Houston hasn't invested in the same, you know, they've actually recently passed a, a huge bond in the city to, to have those types of projects. And again, like your risk can change over time, too, right? So I know Houston, like urban sprawl, you know, paving over areas that typically would have been um, either absorbent to the water or ways to kind of funnel or channel water out. Uh, People don't necessarily realize that um, the risk changes over time, particularly as an area becomes more and more developed and more and more paved over. Uh, the water pathways, right, kind of change in terms of where the water needs to go in a mega flood event. So, yeah, I think the risk is much uh, more widespread that happens than, than a lot of people realize. And I, the other thing I'll say about um, just in general, um, this is the type of thing that you see people that are devastated and you feel bad for them, but nobody thinks that's gonna to happen to them. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, right? Like, and you know, as an insurance company, you're like, well, what about testimonials? what about, we'll show these people online? And it's like, they'll feel bad for that person, but they just are like, that happened to them, that's not gonna happen to me. And if you think about it, like it's a healthy, like psychological uh, thing that we have as humans, right? Like we don't wanna think about the worst happening to us all the time, right? They would just be us in a paralyzing state of fear if you were just constantly, you know, we get on airplanes and my wife has always got like the hand wipes out, she's wiping down the seatbelt and then she reads all the studies about how many germs on our airlines, right? I'm like, I'm sure you're totally right, but I don't want to think about all that stuff, right? I don't want to think about Ebola or whatever, you know? And that's just human nature. Um, and, but, but, you know, th- those should be warning signs. And then those stories of events like Florence, um, like Matthew that, that we've heard, um, obviously, it could happen again. And it could happen to you if you dodge the bullet twice. Ironically, sometimes a near miss is actually you think, like, oh, I'm invincible, you know what I mean? You hear that about near death experiences and stuff like that as well.
0: And Rob, one thing here in Western North Carolina that that we face, not only with with tropical systems uh, that bring heavy rain, um, we also see the potential for landslides and sinkholes and things like that. So um, is that covered in insurance But how folks are worried about that? Um, What what questions should they ask from their insurance agencies?
1: Yeah. um, So I would ask exactly that question, Scotty. Yeah. I mean, um, I will tell you that each each company is a little bit different and um, each state, uh, quite frankly, is a little bit different. Um, we probably see it the most in Florida or in, in Tennessee, ironically, um, has quite a bit of sinkholes, but definitely the Carolinas um, are, are subject as well. And typically, um, earth movement is not covered um, of any type. So um, it could be a landslide, right? It could be an earthquake is typically not covered on its own, um, just anything like that. Um, And the other thing too, you know, you talked about Western uh, Carolina, so obviously you can have a wildfire like we saw in in Gatlinburg with the Chimney Tops 2 fire and and this happens all all the time in California where you have a fire that has kind of uh, wiped out some vegetation. Um, and then you have a heavy rainstorm after the fact right and that vegetation would kind of break the the, the water or the erosion and if it, that gets wiped out then you can easily have a, a mudslide type of event um, And so those are definitely things that you want to. Um, ask about, you know, is that covered, is that not covered? How much would it get to to be covered? Um, That's something in your policy. So there's there's the part that's called exclusion. So I'm not saying you got to read the whole thing, but you should absolutely read the exclusion section of your policy. If you don't know where it is, ask your agent, show me where my exclusions are. And redo that very carefully. And if there's something on there like uh, landslides that um, you know you're concerned in, in, in your area, you're gonna know your train better than I will. Um, then you know you should ask, well, you know, can I can I buy coverage for this? And so sometimes you might have to buy coverage from a different company for that. Um, as well so that's something that like don't feel like okay well this is my company I like my company I'm stuck with them they don't cover this uh, You can say well I want to keep my homeowner's policy but I want to buy extra coverage for sinkhole or extra coverage for for landslides or what have you um, can you help me with that The other thing that I'll mention is um, in, in both North Carolina and South Carolina there's something known as a, as a state wind pool so people on the coast, Um, they may not actually, uh, they may have uh, what's known as uh, an x wind or excluded wind policy from their homeowner carrier and you have to buy it through the state organization uh, to get coverage for just the wind part um, of your your policy. And so um, I tell people that live in in, um, hurricane prone areas that you might have to buy up to three policy, kind of your standard homeowners policy, a wind only policy to cover the hurricane risk. Um, and then also with flood policy. So it can get very, very confusing. And again, that's where um, a really reliable agent um, is important. And so, you know, I would also say shop your agent, you know, kind of ask two or three people. I know some people, it's like, oh, you just saw their sign or they advertise at your kid's little league or whatever, but um, this is somebody that, you know, you want to be able to, to trust in your greatest time of need and you want to make sure that they're giving you good financial advice. So just like you would shop for, right, we're, you know, right close to tax season, right, and you want to go to HR Block or Jackson Hewitt or Liberty Tax and you want to figure out who's the right or an accountant, right, um, it'd be no different than, than that or an investment advisor. It's somebody that you're talking about your financial security for you and your family has gotta be somebody you trust. We were talking about the
4: wildfires and I want to use that as a perfect segue. Um, You're talking about West North Carolina and in 2016 we had all those fires. I know that was a a scary time for many people across West North Carolina. Uh, My family and almost everyone in Asheville included, we had a fire just 10-15 miles away with ash falling out of the sky and that's something you don't see every day especially in North Carolina. But that can happen anywhere from South Florida to North Alaska. So how do insurance policies cover forest fires um, and, and what do people need to be looking for?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, that's another one where actually I've talked to to wildfire experts and they say um, the return interval in an area, um, just kind of all on the, the Appalachians, right? In Western uh, North Carolina and elsewhere, um, they, they do get fired. So we hear about them in California all the time because the return period is like, well, used to be every 20 years now it feels like it's every five to ten years right and so in in, in in out east they certainly don't get to the same acreage that they do in the west they're not like the wall of fire usually that we kind of see on tv on cnn and stuff like that but so the smaller acreage burns um, and they happen less frequently more in the 40 to 80 year time interval but they absolutely do this is part of a, a an ecosystem actually those trees need fire um, i've talked to a forest ecologist and he talks about um, just a, a an epidemic of trees. And he said, you know, we look at these mountains and we just see a sea of trees. And he goes, we assume that that's the way it's always been. But if you actually look at historical uh, photographs that tends to be more patchy where you have a tree but you've also got some meadows and some grasslands and stuff like that and so um, you know a, a grass fire right that occasionally engulfs a, a tree or two is just a very different event where it's going crown to crown to crown to crown right um, so because these areas have been preserved and, and, and people live in these areas where before maybe we didn't care about it now we care because people live in these areas and so we're very quick to suppress the fires and so it just kind of builds up the tinderbox for the, for the next time so so um, I think just being aware that you live in a, in a devastating area, obviously asking your agent, you know, am I covered for wildfire? Do I have any special exclusions or or maybe have different limits or a higher deductible or something like that? Um, and then definitely planning with your family. It's not just about insurance. I mean, that's a, a major portion, but, um, you know, having a, a plan like, a, a, you know, an evacuation, knowing where you're going to go, having a go bag ready where you just grab it. Um, I When I talk to audiences, I had this uh, video that, you know, it's kind of funny but it's also a little scary of uh, a fire that happened in florida actually in the panhandle of florida and uh this guy gets on there he's like i just grabbed two bottles of booze and we got out of there and i was like okay at least you took something with you but like in the the the, the panic of the moment you know you're not necessarily going to be thinking rationally about you know, I need this, I need this. So there's lots of great resources online. Um, I would tell people, you know, ready.gov is one. Um, there's also an organization called FLASH, uh, Federal Alliance for Safe Homes, that ORG. They've got a ton of building codes and they also have that. And, um, you know, cell phone charges is probably the one that we always talk to people about, right? Of like, you, you forget how much of our lives are on our cell phone. And so you're absolutely gonna need that. And so we saw that certainly in, in, in Gatlinburg and others of um, people just not knowing how to get out or the path was broken or whatnot. So so um, just knowing, you know, what what to do in those types of events and, and being aware that, you know, that's something. And then, you know, there are some things that you can do. So there's something called uh, being fire wise. Um, so you create some defensible space around your property, you take all the leaves out of your gutter, like doing some raking and stuff. And I know it's kind of weird, like just to say, well, doing a little bit of yard work and, and uh, can, can greatly reduce your wildfire risk, but it can, you know, and then if you bond together as a community, um, you get just kind of like a, a, a 10X return on that because um, sometimes your greatest risk is gonna be the neighbor that lives right right next to you. And so the Firewise USA program is something that you can Google online. It's run through the National Fire Protection Association or NFPA and uh, they do a great job in terms of, you know how do you get the community involved to, to work together? And so you can have like, you know, I know it sounds funny. We're talking about wildfire barbecues, and stuff like that—kind of a get-together, right? And the longer that you're firewise, like each year, there's kind of a cumulative impact of reducing your risk. Um, we definitely saw some success stories, um, but it's—it's it's not a—it's—it's it's not foolproof. So there's also fire-wise communities out in um, eastern Tennessee, western North Carolina that 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 have burned down. Um, so just because you 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 know you participated in the past, you have to obviously keep up with it because the vegetation grows back, the leaves fall again, et cetera. Um, oh, okay, else was
0: going to say Rob, last week we were talking about um, it was National uh, Safe Place Selfie Day, and where the discussion was talking about being prepared for severe weather and, and the hurricane season coming up. So, uh, our last question for you tonight is uh, we've kind of talked about what, what insurance covers and what it doesn't, but if we were to give like a spiel for the next five minutes, as we start to get into hurricane season and the severe weather season uh what should folks do I know you recommend maybe policy reviews uh deductions uh things like that so what, what would your uh, advice be to folks who are listening tonight
1: yeah, so um, I would definitely say get the policy review. Understand what perils is, is the, kind of the term in insurance. So you know, is it wind, is it fire, right? What perils are you covered against? What is your deductible? Uh, meaning, you know, that's the amount that, that would be your portion of that. So it could be $500, it could be a thousand dollars, but it could be $5,000 or $10,000 sometimes. And so you want that to be obviously an affordable number. And sometimes it could be different for wind versus, uh you know fire or lightning or something else so having your agent kind of walk through that um and then uh, coverage so it, a lot of people think uh, that the amount that you should be covered for is what your home what you bought your home for or what you would sell your home for and it's really the replacement cost of your home so if your home uh, was to be totally rebuilt from the ground up today uh, not taking into account any economies of scale that might have come from uh, you know, builder that was building out a subdivision, say, um, also take into account what's known as debris removal. So, if your house is totally wiped out, right, uh, your policy will actually cover um, holding all the the the, the sticks or whatever left away and, and allowing you to rebuild. So, um, insurance companies always have uh, estimates uh, or kind of calculators uh, for you know what is an appropriate uh, rebuild cost, um, and a lot of people don't understand that number. Or they may not like that number, and they kind of. Um, pick a lower number because they're trying to save a few bucks on their premium and trust me, it, it's, it's totally not worth it. I see that time and again where somebody kind of lowballs and it's like, okay, you got a beautiful four bedroom house. Now you can only afford to rebuild a, a two bedroom house, right? So, you know, where, where, where's your son or daughter going to stay or, you know. Um, and uh, then, you know, the other part is um, just be weather aware. I know we talk about it all the time. Um, but tr- trust me, from an insurance perspective where you see literally thousands of people each and every year that are in that claim situation, um, it, it is obviously very distressing, very devastating. Um, and, and I tell people, you know, even if you have a great insurance company and you know, you know they're gonna be there and they're gonna be able to, 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 to make good on their promise and pay out, um, I ask people like, have you ever been on a vacation for two weeks? You know, my experience with my family for, for two weeks It's like by the end of the second week, we're kind of getting at each other's throats when we're staying in a hotel room like I'm tonight or whatever, right? We're all ready to get back home. So imagine a devastating loss from a hurricane or a wildfire and now you're out of your home for six months, nine months, 12 months. Um, You're having to deal with all the contractors are asking you all these questions. You want to know like, are the schools coming back? Are my neighbors coming back? What's going to happen with my job? I mean, there's so many things kind of going on. So um, I know um, you know, taking half a, a, a day on your weekend here or there just to um, either, you know, harden your home, do yard work, um, drill with your family in terms of, uh, you know, where are we going to go in case of mentioning, where's our rendezvous point, where's that selfie place, you know, that safe place, self, you know, place where you can take a selfie and stuff. Um, We're busy, Uh, we have busy lives and increasingly busy, but it is so worth just that small investment of your time because um, trust me, it happens each and every year to people. And in that moment, if it did happen to you, you're gonna wanna make sure that you had the proper coverage, that you know your evacuation route, that you had the go bag, and that you uh, make the best of a a bad situation.
0: That's all good information, Rob. So for our followers who may be listening on the podcast or maybe watching this later on, uh, if they have any direct questions, maybe you could help them with, um, how can they get in, reach, uh, in touch with you? What's the best way?
1: Yeah. So as you guys mentioned, I'm pretty active on social media. Uh, so Twitter is a great medium. Uh, my Twitter handle is pretty easy. It's Rob Golb. so R-O-B, and then the first four, my last name, G A L B. Uh, happy to just tweet at me or send me a, a DM. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. Um, if you type in Rob Galbeth or Rob Galbeth insurance or something like that, um, you can definitely Google me as Rob Galbeth insurance as well. Um, and then actually on Instagram, i uh, literally it's, it's, it actually fits, but it's the most interesting man in insurance, all one in word on Instagram. So happy to have you send me a message that way as well. Rob's
0: a great follow on, on social media and you're also an author. You want to plug your book
1: right now? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so I wrote a book. So my other passion is, uh, Uh, technology and innovation in the insurance space. So that's what the book is about. It's called the end of insurance as we know it. And it talks about, um, you know, artificial intelligence and all these things that I think um, are actually going to benefit insurance to the good and actually help uh, consumers kind of understand it and and hopefully bring costs down and um, you know, just make it a, a better product and a better experience. Um, I also tentatively have another book that I'm gonna start working on soon. Um, and this one is actually gonna be very much related to insurance, uh, weather and climate change and kind of uh, the way insurance can kind of help people maybe. So, so I tell people your insurance premium is a sign of your risk Like people could tell you this is high risk or moderate risk or it's different risk for different things and it's hard to like keep all track of it. But we all know if it costs $6,000 to insure this house and it's only 2000 for this house over here, well, you can bet that that $6,000 house is, is three times as risky, right, as a $2,000 house, because we all kind of understand dollars as a unit of measure. Um, and so uh, it's uh, tentatively titled How Insurance Can Save the World. And uh, so, so definitely, you know, more info to come if I finish that one. Hopefully you guys will have me back on and I can uh, tell you all about it.
0: I think I mean, we've, already, uh, we've already got a show topic that we can discuss, so we'd love to have you back going. Stick around if you want to, Rob. We're going to do a little weather discussion. You. Uh, if you want to talk about the weather in your area, we'd definitely love that. But for now, I'm going to toss it to uh, Jared Smith tonight, who's got our news headlines. Jared?
5: Thank you, Scotty. Nice to be with everybody tonight. A uh, Pretty busy day in weather and science and lots of other things. So piggybacking off talking about insurance, we uh, Noah came up with a press release today. Um... Talking about billion-dollar disasters, so we've got two of those so far this year. Two of them cataloged as billion-dollar disasters. Uh, the most recent one being the significant flooding in the Midwest uh, in March 2019. This was this damaged the uh, Offutt Air, Air Force Base in Nebraska. Um, it's the third military base uh, to sustain significant weather damage uh, in the last eighteen months. So um, we we all remember Tyndall in particular during during uh, Michael's. So. Um, so we're seeing some real major, major issues, not only from a, you know, from a personal property perspective, but also from a national defense perspective um, with uh, weather disasters. Uh, the other billion dollar disaster is the severe weather outbreak in the southeast, uh, Ohio Valley and northeast. This happened back in February and um, numerous tornadoes, lots of tornadoes and straight line wind damage, flooding. Um, along the Ohio Tennessee River valleys, there um, that was uh, assessed at 1.2 billion dollars in losses. They still haven't put a number on the uh, flooding yet. That's still an ongoing thing, but um, but that is certainly going to be up there for sure. So <clears throat> so again, billion dollar disasters. Uh, you know, we, we're seeing seeing them increasing frequency. So uh, something to keep an eye on. We'll update you guys as soon as we know more about the numbers behind that. Uh, Melissa caught some nice thunderstorms today as uh, we were uh, I'm going to share my screen here we were uh, uh, here in Charleston thinking it's going to be a quiet day we were thinking all the weather is going to be south of us so of course naturally uh, something else, uh, it decides to do something else and so we have these nice overachieving thunderstorms uh, here and you can see I'm going to take these pictures full and so there's there's an anvil now this is 80, 90, miles away from Charleston. And I'll switch over to that. There's Melissa's location, and there are the thunderstorms. These are these are near the barrier islands of South Carolina. You're seeing them right there on Radar Scope. So pretty cool. Some high cloud tops. The radar estimated them around 45,000 feet. I took a look earlier when Melissa sent that to me. It was like, yep, I was right under those. I know all about those. Um, I miss those. Sorry, sorry, Charleston, about that. Uh, but it happens sometimes, and uh, we know nobody's perfect. Um, and, then, and then speaking of radar, uh, there was a, a, a very unfortunate incident this morning uh, in Durham, North Carolina. One dead, 15 injured. A contractor hit a two-inch pipe. He was digging, and he hit a pipe a gas pipe and it caused an explosion. And here you can see uh, this is a radar scope uh, GIF. Uh, Evan Fisher got this for us. I'm going to try and um, see if I can't take that fuller here. Let me zoom in on it a little bit more so you all can see it. And yeah, so... So there it is. You see, it coming right out of Durham. There, there's a little proof of reflectivity there, and that is the uh, that is a smoke plume picked up on radar. Uh, this was nasty. This was a, this was a bad explosion. Reports of windows shattering there. Uh, we were hoping to get some uh, seismograph information from from down there, but there is no longer a seismometer in uh, operation uh, in that neck of the woods. But I'm sure it would have registered. It was a, it was a, a very nasty explosion, and uh, we were definitely thinking about everybody who was, uh, you know. Uh, affected by this uh, very uh, scary situation for sure uh and then on a lighter note on uh, you know so here is a uh, national science foundation using that as their uh, uh pin tweet we have the first image of a black hole and this was put together um through an array of telescopes numerous exposures put together and yes this is a black hole this is at the uh this is this is at um, the the uh, Event Horizon Telescope, um, and, and we got to give a shout out to Dr. Katie Bowman because this is I love this. All right, so I mean. You've got it. I mean, this is so cool. You know, you're seeing you're making history here. And this is what this is what it looks like when you're, you know, you're making astrophysics history. It's like, oh, my goodness, I'm seeing my picture, uh, you know, stitched together for the first time. So congratulations to Dr. Bowman and her team. Um, And uh, this is this uh, is uh, really fascinating. I mean, this is a this is a whole new world for us. Uh, to see uh, this kind of interstellar stuff. And there was supposed to be a Falcon Heavy launch tonight, speaking of space, but that got scrubbed, waiting for a reschedule on that. So, a lot going on, and that was just today, Scotty, and we're going to let you guys talk about, you know, I mean, there's there's a whole lot more, um, you know, in, in the way of strong to severe thunderstorms. We had some hail. We had some hail yesterday. We had all sorts of stuff yesterday, Scotty.
0: Yeah, it's been a pretty active week. My, my dog's joined us here for the... For the round table so this is Lolo the weather dog but uh anyways it has been a, a pretty uh pretty crazy week we've had severe weather roll through on Monday and Tuesday in fact on Monday uh, parts of uh, North Carolina was under an enhanced risk of severe weather I will say for my part of the area here in western North Carolina uh, we didn't get much in the way I'm gonna let Lolo go <laughs> but uh, we didn't get much uh, in the way of severe weather uh, but we did see some, uh, hail reports and some damaging wind reports, uh, from, uh, the Raleigh area and towards, uh, East North Carolina. And then, uh, Tuesday we had another round of severe weather. And I think personally it was probably a little bit more worse than, uh, than it was on Monday. But again, nothing too major for us in Western North Carolina. I know, uh, Chris is not with us tonight, but Chris was out chasing. And Melissa, how was things there in the Midlands of South Carolina?
3: We uh, definitely had some pretty strong winds come through with that one line. Um, I believe we had, um, there was a RC wind station over on Lake Murray Dam that reported a 40, it was a 44 mile an hour wind gust. And then the Columbia Owens downtown airport actually had a wind gust of 49 miles an hour as those storms rolled through. And they came right around uh, rush hour too, which is the worst possible time to have severe weather roll through an area. Um, other than that, we did get some pretty pretty good rainfall. I think the biggest thing, and, and I know that there, there's some, and I know there's some pictures out there of these just big huge yellow clouds just moving ahead of the of the rainfall. So, but we fared pretty pretty well okay here in the Midlands. I did not have to use my safe place this time, um, unlike earlier in March when I definitely had to.
0: Evan reminded me here in the group chat, Evan, I'll bring you in. Not all of Western North Carolina escaped without the severe weather. Uh, There was some pretty impressive video coming out of the Brevard area of some hail. And uh, Evan, it it held so much, it actually looked like it snowed there.
4: Yeah, so Tuesday with that second round of storms, uh, Brevard really got pounded with some, not necessarily the high winds, but they had ping pong pong ball sized hail. um, And it was just coming down. Like you said, it, it really was accumulating in the streets. Um, and, and even in the grassy surfaces, so it was it was a rarity for West North Carolina. We don't typically see weather like that.
0: And Jared, on the coastline, you guys fared out fairly well too. I know y'all had some strong storms, but nothing too major down there.
4: You know we uh,
5: you know we just uh, we, we we got this little like just just capping inversion that just decides to set up. Um, it basically is like the Jared doesn't get to see anything cool. Capping inversion is what it's called. Um, it, it, and that's generally what happens. Uh, you know, the Marine layer again, uh, it has, it has its ways, uh, with our weather and, um, you know, Monday was uh, questionable, uh, we got some, you know, we were pretty warm most of the day, but everything fizzled out real fast. Uh, as it got into uh, Charleston, and we really didn't get much rain out of that. We did get a pretty nice rainstorm yesterday um, out of, uh, you know, there were some strong storms. We started the day in a slight risk, got downgraded or upgraded to a marginal, depending on how you look at it. Um, but uh, we uh, we we did have a we did have a, a small risk of severe weather, but again, most of that stayed to the south. The better forcing was there. We had the marine layer invecting on shore, and so we got a nice steady rain. It was like really good sleeping weather, occasional rumble of thunder, nothing too crazy. Uh, and then today we were supposed to have a pretty nice day. And then as you as we talked about earlier, we actually I got a, another half inch or so of rain at the house. So I've got quite the three-day report to send to Melissa in Kokoraz. Um, so, so it's been good. You know, we it, the the good thing is, is that we're in moderate drought here uh, along the coast, and um, while this isn't busting that drought per se, it's. Kind of blunting it a little bit. It's it's still we're still running about six inches behind for the year uh, at the airport observation site. So we'll see what the drought monitor says tomorrow. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, there was a good swath of half an inch inch of rain in an hour's time today. So some people really got some uh, some, including me at my house. We got some nice rain. Uh, so. Looking forward to a little bit more sun tomorrow, but we're going to stay unsettled. We're going to stay unsettled over the next several days. So, um, you know, it's uh, we we can use the rain. We can use the rain and hopefully we can keep the severe weather at bay.
0: It's hard to believe that it still bumfuzzles me that you guys are in a drought with this crazy active as the weather's been. Uh, Ricky, you and I spent the weekend together up here and we were biting our fingernails and everything else. Watching this line of storms move through uh, the Bristol area for the NASCAR race over the weekend.
2: Yeah, luckily the uh, race got over before we had a storm pop up with a ping pong ball sized hail in uh, Midway, Tennessee, which is in Greene County, uh, about an hour or so southwest of the racetrack. So uh, glad everything worked out for that. And we just uh, had a good race uh, here in Bristol on Sunday. And now we're dealing with nice 70 degree temperatures.
0: I will say um, Ricky and I, we do weather support for the Speedway Motorsports Incorporated. And uh, Bristol is Ricky's track. He Obviously, he works up there and knows everybody. And I normally get to tag along with Ricky on flood reports. That seems like for the past three or four events, we've been out at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning shooting live video for WCYB covering floods. And we didn't get to do that this year, Ricky. I, I'm kind of disappointed a little bit. You're disappointed, but I'm glad I got a couple extra hours of sleep that's right yeah that is true that is true so uh as we wrap up here we do uh uh, jared was talking about the unsettled weather pattern we are going to be watching the weather this weekend starting on friday through sunday there's a chance of seeing some scattered showers and thunderstorms uh we could see some stronger storms on friday and then again on sunday so that's something we'll watch over the weekend and it's uh, anything breaks out, we will definitely be here to uh, cover it for you all. And uh, next week, we'll be joined by Nate Johnson, uh, former meteorologist at WRAL, and now he's a meteorologist lead for NBC, for the Mothership NBC, and uh, Jamie Mara, who works for the National Weather Service in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're going to be recapping... Uh, the April 16, uh, 2011 tornado event that um, went through North Carolina, the, uh, the uh, biggest tornado event ever recorded in North Carolina. And uh, we're going to be recapping that. And in fact, Ricky was out in the field chasing that day. So Ricky also will have some expertise and, and some comment from being out in the field watching these storms. So uh, that would be our show next week. And then we're going to take a week off and enjoy spring break. So uh, that's what is uh, coming up for the Carolina Weather Group. So we appreciate you joining us tonight. Be sure to follow Rob on Twitter, and uh, uh, we appreciate you listening to us. As always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. If there's guests or topics that you would like for us to discuss, all you got to do is send them to us via Twitter or Facebook, and we will work on that. And if uh, you ever just want to talk about weather, we're here, too. We'll answer your weather questions. So we hope you have a great weekend. Uh, Stay weather aware over the weekend if severe weather threatens, and we'll see you back here next Wednesday night for another episode of the Carolina Weather Group.